get started tonight if we can please the books of the Bible how many in, how many books in the whole Bible how many in the Old Testament in the New Testament 27 all right let's start you ready one two three Genesis Zachariah, Zechariah, 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 Zechari
Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 John, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let the old ones to him be not, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I'm up the mountain, notice the grass is down, everyone. Measure the rainbows. What's the key verse of authority in the Bible? I want to hear everybody say it. What's the key verse of authority in the Bible? Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord. And what verse do you see that proves God made everything? Hebrews what? Three and four. Let's say, let's say Hebrews three and four. Hebrews three and four. And every house is built by someone. Every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. How many elders do we have here? Four. Five. Five. Four. Yes, I believe. You need answer. Yes, I believe. 
you don't get cancer. Yes, I believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then be baptized. Acts. Acts 2 38. And Peter said to them, to them, to them, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Be baptized in the name of the name of the name of Be baptized in the name of the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission, 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 for the remission, remission of sins. And you'll receive, 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 and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then be faithful. Revelation 2 verse 10. Be faithful, be faithful, be faithful unto death, and I, and I, I give you a crown of life. Okay, let's do the shorter version. Here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized in the water. Rise up again to walk with Christ and live like you are. Alright, this is how we worship God. Worship God, worship God. This is how we worship God according to His Word. We pray to the Lord our God, Lord our God, Lord our God. We pray to the Lord our God in Jesus' name. We give money to God. We give our money to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. We give our money to the Lord, showing Him our love. Did we just do that one? No. Nope. Sorry. Might be a bad night for me. Nope. Huh? That's right. We sing praises to our God, to our God, to our God. We sing praises to our God, singing in our hearts. We preach the Word of God. We listen to the Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. We listen to the Word of God and increase in faith. There's one more. Excellent. We partake the Lord's Supper. We partake the Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper. We partake the Lord's Supper, remembering His death. All right, the judges. God set judges over Israel, one very woman, fourteen men. They have Israel fight their battles, led them back to God from sin. I can't be the same guard, never even the right to let you. Check out the same thing. That is excellent. Excellent. Do what? Yeah, it can be, but the more you see it, the better you're going to get it. See? God made me. God made me. In my Bible book it says that God made me, God keeps me, God keeps me. In my Bible book it says that God keeps me, God loves me, God loves me. In my Bible book it says that God loves me. Alright, what is true success in life? Okay, all right. What's true failure in life? I'll never forget that. What is God's ideal for marriage? One woman, one man, Okay, excellent. Excellent. Now, why were you made? To glorify God. To glorify God. And because God made you, that means something. What does it mean? Special. All right, y'all are just about out of school. How many more days do you have? 
Two. Zero. Okay, so whether you've got school or whether you are done with school, even if you're at home, or if you're doing chores, what are you going to do all day long? I will do my best. I will never give up and let God take care of the rest. Okay, and I'll always remember that right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. It's never right to do wrong, and it's never wrong to do right. That's right. That's the Bible right. Excellent. One, two, three. One and two, Jesus loves you. Three and four, He loves you more. Four and eight, He loves you four. Five, six, seven. Yes, we do. Hold it. We're going to sing it together this time, all right? One, two, three. Jesus loves me. One and two, Jesus loves you. Three and four, He loves you more. Four and eight, He loves you more. Four, five, six, seven, eight and nine, he loves you right. Now it's so right up to we don't have time to sing it again. All right, y'all did a good job tonight. All right, before we go to class tonight, I want to remind those that uh, may need to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you need to do so as we are dismissed for class, uh, you're welcome to go into the a little chapel and do so. Also, I want to remind everybody that we have, I think, two classes available tonight. Not only do we have the one here uh, in this particular auditorium, but we also have a class in the Annex as well. And uh, you are invited to pick and choose the class that uh, you would like to attend. So please keep that in mind. I'm not going to rehash any more of the announcements that we had this morning. But before we are dismissed to class, I'm going to uh, call on Brother Tommy, if I could, to lead our prayer, and uh, then you'll be dismissed. Our Father, we're glad that we can be here tonight, and we pray that you'll be with those that will be teaching tonight. We pray for the, the students that will be involved in our classes. We pray that they will learn about you and about your love. Be with us as we go to class tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I read off of usually. Are you excited? You're kind of getting the behind the scenes now. So I'm going to go over this list of people who are sick. We'll be praying for them in a moment. We'll also be singing a song together, 470. So if you want to go ahead and mark that, 470. Is that victory in Jesus in your songbook? I have to ask because some of the books are different. Okay. All right. Okay, so remember Irene Baker? That is Melinda's mother. She has terminal cancer. Laura Galloway's dad, John Dryden, he passed away. Funeral was on Friday, so please remember that family. Martha Eaton's preparing for some foot surgery on June the 6th. That'll take place in Collierville at the Baptist Hospital. Austin Wentz, he's undergoing treatments. We just we keep him on a prayer list because he does have ups and downs with that. Terry Green is undergoing some treatments in Alabama, UAB. Verlin Davis has Alzheimer's, so we want to remember her, but, you know, especially her caregivers. Ann Stevens has been sick for a long time. Jeff Goff is recovering from an injury to his back. Connie's here tonight, so we're glad for that, but she's recovering from her knee surgery. Marilyn Wilson had back surgery in recovery. Todd English's mother, Edith, uh, recovering. Okay, so my mother-in-law, Ruth Staley, underwent a biopsy. The biopsy results came back. They were negative. The doctor doesn't believe it, so he's going to do another biopsy. So I appreciate him being thorough, right? But I'm also going to appreciate him being wrong. How about that? Uh, Kim Fowler, she, you'll see her hobbling around on her foot, still in a cast. Uh, Don Dawson's been very sick with, uh, he's got lots of health issues, but stomach problem was most recent. Kara Burns and her daughter were in a, an automobile accident, which they were hit by a dump truck. Uh, so they're recovering from that. Johnny Howe is Ken Scott's aunt. She has cancer. Roger, Roger Mooney's wife, Connie, had hip replacement surgery. She's undergoing rehab at One West there in Tupelo. Sue James is a friend of Rick Warner's. She has cancer. Gary Thornton is undergoing cancer treatment. That's Barbara Gwynn's brother. Anita has a student whose father has a tumor, required some surgery. They don't think it's malignant. Quitman Wigginton is back at Landmark for rehab. He's in room 209. Geraldine Taylor fell. They took her to the doctor. In the course of doing her examination, they found something. And so they followed up with that. And turns out she has pancreatic cancer. So you can imagine we're praying for that family. Um, several of our school people, when given the chance, have talked about uh, you know, we have a lot of students in home situations that aren't very good, and some of their best meals they get during the school year at school. So they're not going to be in school our summer, and, you know, there's concerns about their welfare. So we'll pray about them. And then this week, Steve Hodgins' dad, Kenneth, he fell off a ladder and fractured L1 vertebrae. I think they're probably going to follow up with some of that cement deal that they do. So hope that he does okay with that. 
Do you have anybody else you'd like to add? That's really good news, Sue. But it also reminds me of the healing power of cookies. And the Lord, but the cookies too. <laughs> so I know many of you have received the medicinal benefit of some of Sue's cookies, usually around birthday time. That's when you really need it, right? Okay, so we'll, we'll be praying about them and this list. Before we start, let's, let's sing. Oh! She's your work. All right. On the official account that I keep. Yes. victory in Jesus? We have a song about that. What in the world? So let's sing the, let's sing the first verse. We'll have our prayer and then we'll begin our study together. And thank you so much for being here. By the way, the other class, this class in the book of Judges, the other class is a study of denominational doctrines, how you answer some of those. It'd be a tremendous study. So if that's something you're interested in, if you're too afraid to run out tonight, that's okay. But it'll be going through uh, the next several weeks. So those are your options. 470, we'll sing the first verse and then continue on. I heard an old, old story. Thank you. 
That is all to tell you he plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing flood. Where did that happen? In baptism. Is that where you are plunged to victory beneath his blood? Yes. That's a song about baptism. Hey, you learn all kinds of stuff, right? Nod your head this way. We do. Okay, let's have our prayer and then we will begin our study together. Our Father, thank you so much for... A, a beautiful day today. Thank you for all the many ways that we've been able to rejoice in your presence from our time of worship to just the fellowship that we've had as a body. And even now as we're together for a study in your word, I just pray that all these avenues are strengthening us, not just mentally, not just so we know things, but that it builds us up spiritually and makes us better people. Father, we pray that you will be with these sick folks that many of which would love to be here if their health were better. But Lord, we're praying for their recovery, if it's your will, and certainly for their comfort in their, their difficult circumstances. We pray for Irene Baker, that she can be comforted, and for her family who cares for her. We pray for the Dryden family, and especially for us, we pray for Laura and for her uh, consolation. We pray for Martha Eaton, who's preparing for surgery. We pray, Lord, that everything that needs to be done before that surgery will be accomplished and that it will be a huge success when the day comes. Please bless Austin Wentz in his treatments that they're effective and that the end result will be freedom from cancer. We pray for Terry Green in the same way, that his treatments will be effective. Please bless Verlin Davis, that she can have good days. And be with her caregivers, that they can be patient and understanding with her. We pray for Ann Stevens in recovery for her health problems. We, we pray that's possible. We pray for Jeff Goff in recovery from his back injury. We pray for Connie Edge that her knee will function properly. And we also pray for Randy Stutz, who's going to have to have additional surgery on his knee. We pray that's a success. Bless Marilyn Wilson in recovery with her back and Todd English's mother, Edith, as she recovers from her back surgery. We pray for Ruth Staley that she doesn't have cancer. That's, that's my big ask. But Father, whatever the case, I pray that the due diligence of this doctor will reveal exactly what the true situation is. We pray your blessings on Kim Fowler and recovery with her foot for Don Dawson and his many health problems that he'll feel better soon. We're thankful to hear from Sue that Kara Burns and her daughter are doing so much better. And we just rejoice in that, that it wasn't any worse than it ended up. And we're thankful for Sue, the way she just is such an encourager to them, but to so many of us too. We pray for Johnny Howe, who has cancer, and we pray that she'll do well with her treatments. Bless Connie Mooney in her recovery. We pray her rehab will be a great success. Bless Sue James, who has cancer. Gary Thornton, who has cancer. Anita's student's father, who's facing surgery, we pray it's a success. Please bless Quitman that 
He'll have good days. He can recover and get stronger and not fall anymore. We pray for Geraldine Taylor and her family as they support her in this cancer diagnosis. We pray for those students who maybe struggle through the summer, and we just pray that aid can come to them and that they'll be cared for. Pray for Kenneth Hodgen in recovery from his accident, and we pray that he'll have a full recovery. Please bless Renee Page, who has lung cancer. Please be with Pat Ritchie, who also has cancer, and for Doris Eaton, who's under hospice care. Maybe we thought of other people that are concerns of ours that we didn't mention, but Lord, you know every single one and every condition and every absolute need. And more than just the medical care, pray you'll help us to reach out and be encouragement to these folks. Bless us now, Lord, as we're studying your word and help us to take advantage of the text to understand our relationship with you, to trust you more, to know that if you're with us, we will have success and we can count on it because we can count on you. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Okay. Um, We're continuing where we left off last time. So we actually ended up right on the cusp of talking about Deborah, and I'm I'm just including Bayrak in that. So we're going to look at Deborah and Bayrak tonight. You can open your Bible and read from that. I always encourage you to do that because you need to be familiar with your tools. However, if you want to follow along or maybe have a different translation that would help you, I'm going to have the new King James translation up here on the screen. And the way we're going to do this, we're going to read through it. I'm going to share some things that I know about the text. And our, our ultimate goal is to get through these stories of these judges, some of you have already said, well, you know, the, these stories are so repetitious. They are. They are. Well, that ought to tell us something. <laughs> I mean, um, as it was then, so it is now. People are so sorry about a thing they do, and then what do they turn around and do again? Same thing, over and over and over. You say, Ken, forgiveness and repentance and all. Okay, peace, great. But humans are subject to making terrible mistakes. Turns out, not just a human, but groups of humans all together. And this, what this will ultimately describe for us is that no matter what these people did, God's plan of saving everybody is not affected. God carries through His will no matter how despicable people get. Do you believe that? I do, absolutely. We are here where we are right now because God carried through with his people despite the the terrible things that they did. Now, this story about Deborah and Barak is interesting because, as we noted last time, we're in a period of what is almost always a patriarchal, male-dominated society. So to find that a woman is in a position of great influence and authority doesn't really speak to the position of women as much as it speaks to the inability of the men who were looked to for leadership in their failings. 
And what surprises me is something we'll see here in some of the opening verses. Okay, so um, we're in chapter 4, and actually this story is chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 5 has variously described, but it is the song of Deborah, a song that was written to reflect the events in more of a a poetic sort of way, more emotional sort of way, uh, what we actually find described here. So... We're not going to really look at that. I encourage you to read it because I've already given you an assignment. What was that? Read the whole book of Judges, right? Yay! Has everybody done that already? Okay, yay! Some of you have done that. If you haven't, at least, you know, keep up with us uh, and read the details because we'll probably not always get to it. When Ehud was dead, so we just studied him, right? Pretty effective judge. Remember Ehud? Yeah, he, that 18-inch knife, dagger. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, see, I'm doing it for your benefit. This is your... <laughs> okay, so when he was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Now stop right there for a second. What's happening right here? What's being described for us? Something that we noted from the very beginning and we're going to see every cycle. Yeah, absolutely. They are in the period that God is, he is bringing judgment against them. He's, He's putting the screws to them. You're going to suffer for turning your back on me, right? They've enjoyed all this time of prosperity, and then they forget the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. And by the way, up until now, we've seen these various kings of Canaan pop in and out, the Canaanite kings. This is going to be the last one. The reason that this is the last one is because they are going to be so severely defeated that there is no threat from the Canaanite kings anymore. So this will be the, just kind of, this is, you know, kind of the, I don't know, just kind of reminiscing, enjoy it while it lasts, because now the Canaanites are going bye-bye. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Haggim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, And for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Tell me something about this guy. Okay, it may be the end of an era, but this is probably at this time the most technologically advanced war machine on the planet. And it's by virtue of the possession of what? All these chariots, right? Typically, you're thinking hand-to-hand combat. What happens when you're riding in a vehicle been run by horses? Are you going to stand up with your sword and fight that? They're going to mow you down. People were terribly afraid. This guy has 900 chariots of iron. This is like an unspeakable sort of force. Now, Deborah, a prophetess... Okay, I want to stop right there. You know, I told you that names oftentimes have meanings, and 
the, the names that we're going to have that come out in the story have meanings, but I, I don't know what to make of them. It's not like they're... Sometimes names are prophetic or seem to reflect something that happened in the life that's pretty useful. Deborah actually means bee, as in honey bee. That's kind of cute, right? <laughs> don't, don't know how that figures. So Deborah, a, but here's, here's something that may blow you away, a prophetess. Why is that interesting to us? Okay, anytime, when you think of people that are able to prophesy, you most always think of men, right? But a prophetess was a prophet, was a prophet because they had received power from, from God. What did a prophet do? Really, there were a couple of things prophets did. Okay, sometimes they were foretellers, and then sometimes they were forth-tellers, uh, just to kind of play with words. A forth-teller just simply means that they are the conduit through which God speaks. The foreteller, yeah, they're the conduit, but they're actually talking about stuff that's going to happen. Well, not all prophets did both, right? Well, I'd say some of them did both, but not all of them, for instance, foretell the future. Some of them were just the conduit through which God speaks. Deborah is a prophetess. She is one of those, just the female version of the person who is specially endowed by God to speak for him. And the wife of Lepidoth. This is it for Lepidoth. This is his moment of glory. Lepidoth means torches. Again, not really significant. Although it kind of, you know, it kind of foreshadows the next story with Gideon, but that's for later. So Lepidoth is the, is the husband. It, is it surprising to you that, now here's how this story will go. We've got Deborah, who is the prophetess, who's going to be the spokesman for God. She's going to be hooked up with Barak, who is a military leader, but her husband really has no role in all of this. Again, I ask you, what does this tell you essentially about what's happened in Israel at this point? Because typically even a woman was pretty well identified or established by which person? The husband. In fact, it's here, right? It didn't just say, well, she, you know, she was a married woman. It, it tells us who her husband was, but he is incidental to the story is what I'm getting at. So she's a prophetess. She's the spokesman of God, but she's the wife of Lepidoth. God didn't choose, in other words, God didn't choose Lepidoth, the head of that household, to be his spokesman. He chose Deborah. She was also judging Israel at that time. And, and by the way, in the song itself, in chapter 5, verse 7, we see her there described as a mother in Israel. So what else did she do? She's a mother. She cared for children too, right? So she's a prophetess. She's a wife. She is, this scripture says, a judge, judging Israel at the time. What's going to be a little bit confusing for us is that in the next verse, we're going to find out that she judges like we probably thought judges judged <laughs> in the beginning. See what it says? She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. 
Now, before every time we saw judge, it had to do with deliverance, right? He's a deliverer as he judges. The sense of judging was then dealing with a situation or being God's man, and in this case, God's woman, in order to kind of be the the mechanism through which God's going to restore his people. They become leaders among the people. In fact, the pattern has generally been he's going to rise up as a military leader, and then for the next 40 or 80 years, what are they going to do? Just kind of rule, you know, just kind of watch over it. In this case, it's a little bit different. What has Deborah already been doing as a result of this divine gift of prophecy or forthtelling in this case, speaking for God? What's she been doing? She's been making judgments for people, right? She's, a, she's a, a judge as we would think of a judge, deciding things. What is it that Moses did that's similar to this? Didn't Moses do this very same thing? He was a great leader of the people, but when they had questions about stuff, what happened? Okay, they, they, they went to him, and in fact, the, the thing became so much of a problem that what happened? His father-in-law said, man, you, you, need to, you need to lay off. You need to establish some other people that can help. Because people always have what? They've got problems. So she is well established, right? In fact, where she sits, everybody knows about it. That's her palm tree right there. <laughs> you go to that location in order to... In order to learn, I, I, I'm presumptive here, but in order to learn what, through God, is, is the plan. So she sits and she judges. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, oops, Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Stop right there. Before I told you that every time you saw all caps, which you see here in Lord, make sure it's still there. You see here in Lord, what does that say in the original language? Yahweh, right? The personal name of God. Now you see right there beside it, God. That's the word Elohim. What's he telling us? Or what's she saying, in effect? Isn't she just putting the exclamation points here? This is something you better pay attention to. The Almighty God, Yahweh, has commanded this. Has He not done it? Now, if God commands you to do something, and it's signified in such a dramatic way, what ought you to do? Do you believe that? God says do it, you're going to do it. Yes? Okay, so God hasn't God said this? Here's what God has commanded. Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali. By the way, those people are his people, right, from his tribe. Then you're going to bring along with you the sons of Zebulun, another tribe. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. Haven't Haven't I said that? That's her declaration from God. Hasn't God commanded it? Yes. What's he commanded? He wants you to go with 10,000 men, and then he's going to bring Jabin with his chariots. Woo-hoo! And you're going to fight them and win. Wait a minute. 
let's be logical here for a second. We got 900 iron chariots. Not to mention all the panoply uh, associated with the, the throngs of those who are on their feet. I mean, this is just kind of the big war machine we're talking about. Not to mention the hordes of soldiers on their feet. You, you want me to amass an army of 10,000 and we're going to have success? The answer, without even going any further, would be what? The answer is unqualified, yes. And the reason is what? Has not God said to do this? Hasn't the Lord God of Israel commanded it? You do this. And then what's going to happen? I will deliver him into your hand. Okay, simple question. If God says you're going to win, are you going to win? You are going to win. Barak said to her, if you'll go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay. Huh. Did I read that wrong? No. With an exclamation point, I know the, elder, uh, the editors kind of threw that in there for us, but it's assumed that he's saying it forthright. You would have to, wouldn't you? The Lord God said, I'm giving you success. Go there with your 10,000 and fight this battle. You are guaranteed a win. Barak says, well, if you go with me, I will. If you don't go, I ain't going. Now, what gets me about this? I think we mentioned this reference last time in preparation for tonight. When you get over there, Hebrews chapter 11, and you talk about the hall of fame of faith, we call it. In verse 32, and what shall I now more say? He talks about Gideon, and number two, guess who? Barak. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Those are the four judges that he uses in the list. Barak is mentioned there. Whoa, the faith of Barak, right? Are you impressed? Barak, go. Here's, here's what I think when I think of faith. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready, let's go, you know? That isn't what Barak... Barak says, okay, you know what? I'm, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Why, why does he do that? Is it because he's afraid? Is it because he's not confident in the prophet work of Deborah? Because Deborah as a prophetess is just a fourth teller of the word of God. God says this, so if you really believe that God has said this, why would you not act? Again, I kind of suggest the heartbeat of the time. What were the men like? Natural born leaders ready to go and join the fight. Stand up for the Lord. Very reluctant. But if you go, I'll go. So she said, I will surely go with you. 
Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. What just happened there? Yes, and and in my mind, I'm kind of like, you know, when Barak, who is the chosen military leader, the guy that God, God is going to empower along with 10,000 of his soldiers to go and win this battle, and Barak says no. Okay, instead of striking Barak dead on the spot for his insolence and unfaithfulness, what does God do? This. Okay. Then when this happens, you will receive no glory but the glory will go to a woman. When you read this, you're assuming, who's the woman? You're assuming, you're assuming Deborah. And so, just, if you don't know yet, just wait, it's it's exciting. Deborah arose, went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command. Deborah went up with him. Is Deborah fearless? She is because she believes what? She believes God's, God's promise here. Now, Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, father-in-law of Moses. Okay, question, are these Kenites connected to Moses? Yeah, they're in the family, right? Okay, so they're connected. He had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zionam, which is beside Kadesh. Turns out that these Kenites were in league with Jabin. They're allies, or at least they, they have sworn not to fight against each other. But the Kenites are connected with the Israelites. So you see that no matter who wins, what about the Kenites? We're going to be okay. So if they're going to fight, what are we going to do? Let's just, you know, let's just kind of stand on the side over here and see what happens. Okay. Just kind of test the wind a little bit. Because it is, for most people, except for Deborah, for most people who see this battle that is brewing, what do we assume is actually going to happen? 900 iron chariots. I mean, that's what led this whole discussion. The Bible was trying to impress on us the fact that this is going to be huge. And so most people, when they look at that, they're thinking, okay, the iron chariots and then 10,000 Israelites, I'm, I'm going with the Canaanites. Not sure? We'll just sit on the side and wait to see what happens. They reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagayim up the river Kishon. Stop right there. What did God tell Barak through Deborah that he was going to do? Okay, you're going to see that they won, but God said, Barak... You get the men together, you're going to go fight, and then I'm going to do what with Jabin? I'm going to send them to you. It's like, you get ready, I'm sending them over. What's happening right now? The exact thing. We hear, we hear that they're out there, now they're sent. So they gather them up, the nine, he's putting it all on the line. Do you see that? A man with this 
incredible force. He doesn't hold anything back. Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? Does that remind you of anything? When Moses and the children of Israel went out into battle, who went before them? The Lord did. The Lord did, right? The Lord gave them success in their battles because it was the Lord's fight. So up, and the Lord's delivered Sisera into your hand. Hasn't he done that? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. Stop. Barak's there, but who won this battle? The Lord did. It's kind of interesting when you read the song, you actually get the details of what happened. So during this time of year, that little valley right there is really a dry riverbed. This is not the time for the water to come, the showers and so forth. It's dried up. So it'd be a great place for battle. It actually, with a hard and dry riverbed, that'd be a great runway for 900 iron chariots, wouldn't it? They march out there into that, and then there is a torrential rainstorm. And the water is such that it creates the mud and the muck and the mire that defeats 900 iron chariots. Now, the caveat to this was that the Canaanites served two primary groups of gods. Remember Baal and the, remember the Asherah. The, Baal is the male god, Asherah is the female god. The male god Baal, you know what he was the god of? He was the god of storms, the god of water. Any, you're going to see a lot of stories here that have to do with dew and water. And in this case, these people were defeated by the torrents of water that came out of the sky and annihilated all of those chariots. Okay, so who should have been the god that protected the Canaanite warriors? Little G God Baal, right? When God, when our God actually slew the Canaanites with the very thing that Baal is identified with, what did that tell those Canaanite warriors? Our God's, our God's been defeated. When your God's defeated, what are you? You're defeated. Not, not the least uh, fact of which is that the very thing that kind of identified you as a force on earth has been totally uh, inundated with the flood. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all the army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Who survived the battle among the Canaanites? Only one man, Sisera. What happened to the army? It was totally annihilated. I don't mean that they were just defeated. What happened to every single soldier? Every single one of them died on the battlefield. Why is it that we don't hear about any Canaanites later? 
trying to cause problems for the Israelites. Because God totally and absolutely wiped them off the face of the earth in one fell swoop. However, not the end of the story. Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, and this is important. Remember, remember Heber and the Kenites and all that sitting on the sideline, not sure which side to take. Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of, wait, she didn't open a jug of water. She opened a jug of milk. What was the significance of milk? <laughs> you ever do this? I, I've never really had much trouble going to sleep, but I've read about sleep therapy, and a lot of people will drink a warm glass of milk before they go to bed. Something about the components of that milk makes you sleepy and you go off like a little baby. In fact, what do babies drink before they go off to sleep? Uh, you say, my baby don't sleep, cries and blah, blah, blah. Okay, peace, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, uh, we think of the milk as kind of an inducement for sleep. Now, we kind of got this alignment, right, of, of, of these territories and, you know, the Kenites kind of, kind of on the fence about their allegiance, when this guy who is... Now, what is, what's his job? He's the commander of the armies of Jabin, of the Canaanites. I mean, he is the, he is the guy. He shows up here. He's got a big contingent of warriors with him to protect the commander. No, he's come running up here what? By himself, afraid, defeated. So she kind of sees this, and I take it she decides in this moment, who's winning the battle? Whose side I'm on now? Now, Jael is a, starts with a W, ends with an N. She's a woman. What do we find out about Sisera? How's he going to fall? And who's going to get the credit for the battle and all of that? A woman is. So she says, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear, don't worry, don't, everything's cool. And, and when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. He said to her, give me some water, I'm thirsty. She opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, covered him. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there any man here? You shall say, no. What has he just let out of the bag? The cat. And what was the cat? The cat was the news that I need you to tell me if somebody comes because they're after me now. I'm a defeated warrior. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took... Oh, I'm sorry. Turn your eyes for those of you who are squeamish. And cover your ears, 
Because this is, I told you things are going to ramp up. This is light right here, but it's significant. Jael, Heber's wife, a woman, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her head, a hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. <laughs> Here's a... Pardon? The milk. It was sour milk and it just undone him. Yeah, no... The woman. And don't, don't you think this, I don't know, I, I'm just trying to find a little humor here. It's kind of funny. You read about how she has taken a tent peg and drove it clear through his skull, through his temples, into the ground, and then you get this comment. So he died. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And then, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said, Come, I'll show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued... Wait, not Barak, not Deborah, not even Jael. Who did the subduing on this day? God did. Even You say, well, Jael, you know, she went and she did that. What, what did God say was going to happen? Who empowered this situation to take place? It was the Lord God, Almighty Yahweh, made that come to pass. Come, I'll show you that. So on that day, verse 23, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Put a period at the end of it and then file away the history of the Canaanites because so far as that group of people is concerned, it is over. Now, next time, I would like for you to read these chapters here, chapters 6, 7, and 8. We're going to talk about Gideon. Okay, so things have kind of been kind of been really good up until this point. Now things are going to get sort of okay. I'm going to tell you that as regards Gideon, Gideon starts out comparable. Now you read this and then you challenge me next time. So I'm just going to lay this out for you. But you will find that when Gideon starts out, he is comparable both to Abraham and Moses. But by the time he finishes, at the end of chapter 8, he is one of the worst of the worst. And you'll see an incredible decline. Okay, um, let's have a prayer, and then we will be finished. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings and for this time of study. I pray it's uh, useful to all of us. Help us just, uh, more than anything, be informed about how great you are, how, how your word matters. And help us to be the people who act in response to your commands. Uh, Father, pray that you'll bless us as we travel and keep us safe. And uh, help us, if it's your will, to have a good week. If you'll grant us many days in this week, pray that we'll bring glory and honor to you through our association with others. In Jesus' name, amen.